hi, I'm Charlotte Rabby and welcome to the Knobbly Knees podcast where we discuss whatever. Okay kids, this episode is going to be another album breakdown and this will be the third one I've done now. The first one being Melodrama, the 2017 album by Lord. The second album I did was Carrie and Lowell by Sufjan Stevens, which was released in 2015 and now it's time for me to review God's Favourite Customer, which is an album that was released in 2018 by the musician Father John Misty. So as, as Father John Misty, he's released four albums from at this point in time, and this is the one. It's the most recent, and it's also the one that I listen to the most. I don't know, it's just the most personal, I think, of all of them. I'll do a bit of a... I'll do a more in-depth breakdown on, like him as an artist and like what the album means as a whole and then we'll do we'll go through the songs and i'll i'll be able to rank these ones i I struggled doing that with carrie and lol i couldn't i was able to with melodrama and now with god's favorite customer i hope i can do it again because with this one there are songs that stand out to me much more than others but overall as an album it's one of those ones i can listen to from start to finish like quite often I went through a hardcore Father John Misty phase at the beginning of 2021 for like many months. That was just like all I would listen to, just his music. And this album was my favourite of those I'd listened to. So yeah, that's why I wanted to talk about it today. So let me tell you a bit about Father John Misty himself. His real name is Josh Tillman or Joshua Tillman, probably. Yeah, Joshua Tillman. And he has taken on this stage name of Father John Misty. Uh, I believe the first album he released under that name was in 2012, and it was called Fear Fun. And then after that, he did I Love You, Honey Bear, which is another, which is a really, really good album. I really, I, to be honest, I, I like all four of them. I Love You, Honey Bear, which is in 2015. And then his 2017 album, Pure Comedy, is, I mean, maybe the critics would say that's his best album. I know that, um, what's his name? Anthony Fantano, the YouTuber, the music critic YouTuber guy, the, the melon, he thinks that's the best album. And I understand why he would think that. And he actually was quite disappointed with God's Favourite Customer, which came only a year later so there wasn't that much of a break in between the two albums and he he was quite disappointed with god's favorite customer having come straight after pure comedy because pure comedy was like this masterpiece and i the reason for that is because pure comedy as an album is it's really really intelligent so a lot of it is relates on themes it's it's to do with society's relationship to entertainment and like um technology and just you know, like humanity in general, it's it's really philosophical and quite, you know, deep in a, with quotation marks there, deep. Yeah, it's not so personal. His songwriting isn't so much like describing his own life. It's much more, you know, this is, this is what is wrong with humanity. <laughs> let me, let me explain where humanity went wrong. Let me show you why entertainment is the bane of humanity and how it's ruining our lives and things like that he's got songs like here's one uh, the name of one song for example things it would have been helpful to know before the revolution so and it's like really really wordy his songs aren't the ones that have like tons and tons of repetition in them in terms of the lyrics you know there's just a lot of content within them it's almost like he's writing essays 
but obviously more musically. So pure pure comedy is like revered is because of that songwriting. I think that's the main thing, and musically as well, it's really really good. So I understand why people like that one a lot. But I have to say, God's favorite customer, the one that comes after it, like very soon after it, is my favorite. But I think it's it's tied very closely to to pure comedy and there is a relationship between the two of them and you can kind of see where he's gone from having really from having made pure comedy to to where he is when he makes god's favorite customer it's very different i'll go in, i'll go into a bit more detail about that actually as a side note i was actually going through tiktok recently and realized that loads of people have been making the comparison between pure comedy and Bo Burnham's most recent film slash album, um, what's it called? Inside, yes. So people were drawing a lot of similarities between the two of them, and th- they're pretty right about that. I, I was surprised I didn't realise sooner. Not just in terms of like the content and what they're singing about, um, but also in terms of like the sound of the music. It's really similar. But I think it's quite clear from when you are directly comparing the two of them, that Bo Burnham's version is just not as good as as Father John Misty's. Father John Misty's is much more intelligent and it's much more insightful than Bo Burnham's. But um, yeah, I think inside, I mean, that's like a whole nother conversation. But anyway, that's just an, an, an interesting thing. So if you did like Bo Burnham's inside, then you'll definitely like pure comedy because it's better and it's the OG version. <laughs> As a rundown of Father John Misty himself and how I came to listen to his stuff, I had known him mostly because of his relationship to the band Fleet Foxes, and I really like Fleet Foxes, and I knew that he used to be a drummer for them. I thought the name was really cool, Father John Misty. Part of me thought he was like some kind of Christian artist. Um, He does talk about Christianity in a lot of his music. Brought up as a hardcore Christian, I believe, and I don't think he's religious anymore, or he's like maybe agnostic or something, I don't know. But he does talk about spirituality in his music. And he sort of has an interesting aesthetic. He has, like, long, dark hair with a beard. He gives off Jesus vibes, definitely. Um, (laughs) And he, like, wears these sunglasses... And he really, it's its a cool aesthetic. I really like his, it's a persona that he's putting on, definitely. But I, I, I quite enjoy it. It's quite fun. L- uh, there are some people who find him really pretentious and they don't like him at all. They think all his music's just like, oh, he's just a, a white guy complaining about being a white guy. I don't know, you know what I mean? That kind of critique that you can get. But I don't think he's that pretentious at all. I think he's really funny. His music, his songwriting is quite sarcastic and he uses irony a lot and they can they can be quite critical of i mean his album's called he's got an album called pure comedy for christ's sake so i listened to some of his like singles and stuff and the stuff that stood out to me immediately was it was it was not so much his like really wordy his like really long practically spoken word speeches like those ones were they weren't easy to just have on in the background and properly pay attention to but the ones that stood out to me immediately were his love songs uh the most of the ones that he's made as father john misty he he's taken on other personas before but his the ones that was st- uh, his love songs as father john misty are all directed towards well almost all of them are directed towards his wife emma some of my favorites would probably be uh, i love you honey bear which is the name of it, his second album as well or it probably would have been uh, when i went to the store one day or the chateau lobby the one that stood out to me the most was chateau lobby number four in and then in 
brackets in C for two virgins close brackets uh when I heard that song and I was listening to the lyrics I was like oh my god this is like such a good love song but it's because it feels so genuine and you can like I don't even know how to describe it you know there are some love songs where it's just like really generic and it's like okay I get it you know it's just saying I love you and that's all it has to say and then there are other love songs where like they word things in a way that you could never word yourself and you can sort of and just by listening to it you feel like you're getting a really intimate insight to to these two people's relationship and it feels like you almost don't belong there like this is not for you to listen to those kind of love songs are really really they're the best honestly and he makes those really well he clearly has an amazing relationship with with emma and not gonna lie it's really enviable if you just like listen to the stuff he sings about her you, you feel bloody depressed and but also like in awe of their relationship <laughs> it's amazing but anyway i think that's enough about the background of father john misty i think i'll move on now to the album itself god's favorite customer because there is some stuff to say about it itself before i get onto the songs as i've already said the album that came before god's favorite customer was pure comedy so he was on tour for that album and whatnot and after the tour finished or maybe during the tour i'm not exactly sure on the timeline of this there was a period in which he father john misty or josh tillman went into like a severe depressive state and this resulted in him spending six weeks isolated in this hotel and it's during his time in this hotel where he was you know taking loads of drugs and drinking himself to like almost death but he was incredibly suicidal you know he was not in a good place he was he his relationship with his wife had become really fraught this is when this is where god's favorite customer the album that's where this has come from it's this is what is inspired by i'm pretty sure he made much of the music in that hotel during his time there so it's not the same as pure comedy at all really it's really really personal and it's all about him struggling during those six weeks and how he got himself out of that situation so like i did with melodrama i am going to be ranking the songs in the album let me see how many songs there are all together there are 10 songs in the album so it's nice and concise i like 10 song albums i think that's a good round number so my least favorite song on the album also happens to be the last song on the album so it's track number 10 and it's called get this it's a bit of a long one we're only people brackets and there's nothing much we can do about it close brackets this is not one of those cases where it's like this is the worst of a really good bunch this is a case where like i genuinely do not like this song and this is probably the only song on the entire album that i'm like I, I have to skip it I can't listen to it or like I, I'd rather not listen to it you know and the reasoning for it is I just don't like the lyrics at all I feel like they're so lazy they're so so lazy let me basically read them out to you and you'll see what I mean this is what he says people we're only people there's not much anyone can do really do about that but it hasn't stopped us yet people we know so little about ourselves but just enough to want to be nearly to be nearly anybody else how does that add up i mean maybe the thing you said at the end there was a little bit smart but generally all he's really saying is you know oh my god we're people guys did you know that the hashtag deep shower thoughts i don't know <laughs> it's one of those i feel like he's trying to do what he had done 
in in pure comedy but just in a much much worse way in pure comedy he sort of addresses the kind of stuff that he looks at here but in such a better like more concise this feels really really vague to me it's just like people what's the deal you've been hurt and i've been hurt but what do we do now people we're only people there ain't a thing one person can ever change about that that's literally one of the verses that those words it just feels really ugh. and like the music is not too bad with it the instrumental stuff it's got quite it's really it's actually really I do quite like the music of it like the sound of it but I just can't get past the lyrics because they're so rambly and vague and wishy-washy he's trying to wrap up the album with a sort of okay I've I've done all this wallowing about myself but you know at the end of the day we're all just people and I feel like he was trying to conclude the arc of the album when there was no need for that I mean with Carrie and Lowell we saw that there was no real conclusion that was found at the end with Sufjan Stevens. He was just happy to leave it as it was and just leave the uncertainty, leave the the pain and whatnot. Whereas here, I feel like, I don't know if I should call him Father John Misty, if I should call him Mr. Tillman or something. I don't know. Father, I'll call him Father. <laughs> here, I feel like Father, he's just, he's trying too hard to like, close the book make it nice and neat being like okay I've just dis- I've discussed my depression and all the bad stuff and now I'm going to end it with a nice old at the end of the day we're all just people you know it's just it, it feels insincere it feels dumb honestly and I'm upset that he did it I honestly don't know why he did it really it this song genuinely does upset me because everything up until that point and I mean everything like there are other songs that are not my favorite but they're still genuinely good this is the only one on the album where I'm just like what were you doing father what were you doing he he knows better than to do this kind of thing he knows better he's smarter than this and I feel like he let himself down so it was quite upsetting but luckily it's the last song on the entire album so you can just pretend that there are nine songs and just skip that last one at the end actually I think the ninth song is a pretty decent one to end on so yeah just pretend that he doesn't have this tenth track and then you're good second least favorite song on the album is date night and date night is the fourth song on the album like instrumentally it's actually really interesting it starts off with this like really weird sort of techno sort of it sounds it's i think it's the sonic equivalent to glitter and then also you know somebody who just like accidentally sits on a keyboard or something and it makes loads of weird noises at once because you know you're just accidentally playing all the wrong keys or whatever it's a it's a mixture of those two things it's like techno glitter at the beginning like really chaotic and that's for like a couple seconds and then it goes away and it goes to like these bare chords on a guitar that's that feel um it almost gives like a spaghetti western vibe you know from like those old movies you know what i mean by that um, so it's got these like really bare guitar chords and it gives me kind of a that that kind of vibe as I was saying and the singing is has loads of reverb in it and it's like really echoey and sort of 
it sounds like a rock star, you know. And he sings, and he has these really cool falsetto back backing vocals. It's quite an upbeat sound, like a sounding song, you know. It's it's not dancey. I wouldn't say anything on this album is dancey. His music is, in terms of the genre, I didn't really get to mention that at the beginning. It's okay. This is what Wikipedia says. It's sort of soft rock, folk rock, baroque pop, or glam pop. I wouldn't really say it was pop. I'd say it's more of the rock sound. It's it's quite raw, you know? Um, and it has these piano chords that are played in the song, Date Night. And they're quite staccato, but they feel as if they're being played with some kind of aggression, you know? Almost, I get the sort of vibes of, like, a, 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 drunk, a drunk guy playing the piano in a bar, an empty bar in the middle of the night. And no one's really paying attention to him, but he's just like hammering at the piano really hard with it. And in terms of lyrics, this one is talking about... He's sort of playing this character in the lyrics, from what I can tell, where he's he's like bigging up this sort of persona, this Father John Misty persona, as this kind of sleazy uh, ladies' man in a way. But, you know, just like one of those really gross ones. It's not like appealing at all. He sort of he describes himself as the second coming. So there's a bit of like religious imagery there. But he so he's like really vain and he says nothing surprises me much. Um, he repeats that a couple of times. Nothing surprises me much. I've got a great attitude and a map to the stars. I've got your number from that sign in the lawn. I also want to vanquish evil, but my mojo is gone. I think he's arguably mocking this kind of behaviour, you know, it's he's like playing up to it and pretending to be this kind of thing. But you know, with the music and the way it, and musically how it sounds like this just like this drunk guy playing in a bar, um, maybe he's he it sounds more like a criticism of that kind of character. So, I don't know, by leaning into that role, he is critiquing it. Or he's mocking it. He's mocking that sort of character i don't the reason why it's one of my least favorites on the album is because i don't i don't think it fits that well into the arc of the album the album's mostly focused on like i was saying before his his state of depression in in this hotel and i guess you could say this feeds into that because this is one of the things he sort of became whilst he was there you know he was that drunk guy in a hotel bar or something um but yeah, it just it didn't have as much to it as some of the other songs. That's why it's one of my least favorites. I think from here onwards are all songs on the album that I do really, really, really like. Like, I think they're all genuinely so good. Um, the other two were, well, Date Night was a good song and We're Any People was not a really good song. But these ones onwards are all, like, very, very good, I'd say. Um, the, so number eight on my list of... I'm, I I say eight as in like we're going from ten and we're going all the way up to number one as the num the number one best song. So the third, my third least favorite, <laughs> it is song number nine, 
on the album. So if we were to forget that We're Only People Exists as the final song on the album, I would say that this is the final song of the album. The Songwriter, it's called. It's called The Songwriter, and this is a piano ballad. It's quite slow, but the thing that I love about it is what he says and what the song is about, because it's so interesting to me. And I feel like not enough musicians talk about this themselves we see lord do it a little bit in my favorite song of the melodrama album writer in the dark and i I remember taylor swift does it a bit but i just i don't know maybe i haven't been listening to enough of musicians and enough songs to be able to know but i don't think this is a sort of thing that many musicians or songwriters do talk about and it's i find it really fascinating it's quite meta and it's the notion of you know writing songs but this the way father john misty looks at it specifically in this song the songwriter he addresses his wife emma and he's saying what would it sound like if you were the songwriter if rather than me writing all these songs about our experiences it was you and he's considering the sort of ethical dilemmas with it that come with writing songs about people you know people that you know your loved ones he's sort he's becoming aware and he's recognizing the potential pain that he might be causing her when he always like because his his writing specifically is extremely intimate and personal and he literally like there's that's the stuff that I love about his love songs the most to be honest that's what I was saying before the songs that he writes about Emma are like my absolute favorites because they're so personal it's insane you feel like you're reading their diary and I read that's what I love so much about them but he recognizes that that might not be something that she wants to be reveal to the to everyone in the world (laughs) everyone who listens to his music and he recognizes that it's quite exploitative in a way um and he sort of feels guilty about it you can tell in this and he's reflecting on what he's done and he's wondering if she would do the same if if the tables were turned so he says what would it sound like if you were the songwriter and and you did your living around me or you made your living off of me would you undress me repeatedly in public to show how very noble and naked you can be? And I think that's such an interesting idea, the noble and naked thing. Because Josh Tillman, I'm going to call him Josh now, I'm going to keep switching up this entire thing. Because his music is so personal, that's what I love about it the most. That's the stuff that I praise his writing for. And that's why I think he's so unique in his 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 voice is so unique there are not many musicians who write the way that he does or write about the things that he does in the specific way that he does obviously everyone writes about love but you know in the way he's found his own tiny little niche within that and that's something that I really like about his work and that's what I'm I'm not the only one everyone does and people praise him for his songwriting as being noble and naked and you know all this and that but he's saying how him being noble and naked if you want to call it that is essentially him undressing his wife (laughs) repeatedly in public so he's humiliating her almost it's humiliating degrading all these you know it's he's just completely flipping it and seeing it as as maybe we should be seeing it and maybe not we shouldn't be praising it for we maybe we shouldn't be praising it as much as we are we should see it as that as you know being kind of exploitative sleazy I don't know how else we can possibly describe it but you know what I mean he definitely feels bad about it it's a really slow ballad and musically it sounds uh, personally I think it sounds a lot like the song here's another thing it a lot like a lot like the song called so- a song called songbird which is by Fleetwood Mac 
and they're both piano ballad ballads and also both of them have the word song within them within the title so this one is called songwriter the songwriter and Fleetwood Mac's song is called Songbird. And Songbird, I don't know why I think they sound so similar. Or oh, here's another reference to the two of them. The chorus within the songwriter, Father's Song. <laughs> I've said song too many times. The chorus within this particular tune that I'm discussing has the lyrics. Goodbye, little songbird, I can leave. Goodbye, my love, is there anything else you need? Um, so he literally describes her as a songbird. So I feel like there has to be a, a tie there. It has to be a link between this song and Songbird by Fleetwood Mac. So I, I think that's a really nice link between the two songs. They're both love songs in a way. I think Fleetwood Mac's song, that sung by Christine McVie, I think that one's much more of a love ballad than this one. This one is more... It's not specifically about their love. It's more about the, you know, the craft of writing music. And yeah, I thought it was just such a fascinating idea to look at. Um, and it, I feel like it's quite an appropriate time for him to be thinking about this, considering he is isolated. He's no longer with Emma at this point. He's been in this hotel alone. She isn't with him at this point. And, you know, he's considering their relationship. He's considering his role as a musician and his his job, his purpose, his this, his that. So it's kind of inevitable that he would end up feeling this way. And yeah, I don't know any other musician who's ever felt guilty about that. Most musicians, like in in Lord's Writer in the Dark, she's quite proud of the fact that she's a writer, a songwriter. And she's like, she sort of revels in the fact that she's able to expose her lovers like this. And Taylor Swift does the same, you know, she she enjoys, She I, I've seen interviews of her saying, you know, if you're going to be an arsehole to me, then I'm going to write about it like that or whatever. And, you know, she just, you know, she writes about her experiences and there's no shame in that. But with him, he, he is feeling guilty about it. And I can, I can understand why. So, yeah, I thought it was just a really interesting perspective. And it's a beautiful song as well. It's sung really, really nicely. He's got such a good voice. It's really clear and crisp. He sounds like a choir boy. He most likely was a choir boy when he was younger, if he was like a full-on hardcore Christian. Um, but he has like a really good tone to his voice. It's really full. It's not breathy or anything. He sings falsettos really, really nicely. What would it sound like if you were the songwriter? And you made your living off of me. Would you detail your near constant consternation? way my very presence makes your muses up and flee the next song i'll be discussing is called disappointing diamonds are the rarest of them all that is the seventh song on the track list once again it's the lyrics really that make it so good and i i just thought it was an interesting idea he he's describing in the verses he's sort of describing this love between I don't know maybe himself and Emma or maybe it's just like he's describing love in general it's supposed to be you know a love a good love you know I, I don't know how to describe it any other way 
a good love as opposed to a, a, I don't know a toxic love but the way he describes it is with really disgusting metaphors so he describes it he describes the love like a pervert on a crowded bus or like a carcass left out in the heat like an oil tanker tipped to tipped at sea like a constant twitching in my eye <laughs> and it's it's really bizarre because he's sort of turning those kind of grotesque images on the on their head and making them sound really appealing in a way so the pervert on a crowded bus a glare of love bears down on us so it's like this like pervy glare this is the kind of comedy i was talking about when i was saying he's he, he's there is humour in his lyrics. I find this really funny. I don't know, maybe it wasn't intended to be funny, but it sounds hilarious to me. Describing this love as a pervert on a crowded bus. Or like a carcass left out in the heat, this love is bursting out of me. That's It's disgusting. <laughs> um, the oil tanker tipped at sea, this love's contaminated me. He's describing this love as a contamination, like an oil tanker, like this oil pulled out in the sea. A constant twitching in my eye, this love of ours will never die. Oh, that's so sweet. You're disc- you're comparing me to an itch in your eye. Um, it's just, I find it really funny. But the main message of the song is in the chorus, really, where he says, Disappointing diamonds are the rarest of them all, and a love that lasts forever really can't be that special. Sure, we know our roles and how it's supposed to go. Does everybody have to be the greatest story ever told? And he's basically saying, you know, this idea of this perfect romantic relationship, this perfect love, you know, is like these two people who are destined to be together and everything is so heightened, you know, because that has become the norm now and how everyone expects to have that. And therefore, it's no longer the rarest thing in the world. The rarest diamond, if you want to describe the rarest love that you can possibly have is the disappointing kind. It's the kind where it's more sort of mundane and you know just not as elevated as people hype their relationships up to be you know those aren't real those are fantasies the rarest diamonds the rarest relationships the ones that acknowledge the sort of disappointment within them and they acknowledge that they're not wholly perfect they're not always going to be on cloud nine you know no relationship that ever lasts is like that there are going to be those dips in it and you just sort of have to accept that. And once you can, you've found that true rare love. Um, not everyone's relationship has to be the greatest story ever told. Not everyone lives this fairy tale life. It's not possible. Um, and it's accepting of that. And I think, and it, yeah, like I said, it's quite interesting that he discusses this in this album in particular. Because in the previous in the previous albums where he's describing his relationship with Emma, you know, he's very smitten with her and it's it is kind of it does have a sort of fairy tale um maybe rose tinted glasses look at it it's very idealized in a way maybe not maybe not to a sort of the extent where it's unrealistic but it does it's much more joyful than in this album this album shows the dips within that relationship and he's willing to accept that you know it's not always going to be perfect which is why it's it's really nice. I don't know. And th- in terms of the, the the actual sound of it, he's got these like horns that come in and they sound really, really cool. Um, what else is really cool about it? Uh, it ha- the falsettos. Like he's really good at falsettos and he has these really nice oohs in the background as his, his backing vocals. And also the song transitions really, really well into the song after this one. 
um the song after this one being god's favorite customer the titular song so i i love it when albums do that when they take the time to consider transitions from one song to the next um making it as seamless as possible i know lots of hip-hop albums do it um i think that this is the only time that this happens within this album where there's like a really smooth transition from one song to the next and i i don't know i appreciate details like that so yeah be discussing is called the palace now this song comes around halfway through the album it's album it's the song it's the sixth song on the track list and this one is another piano ballad kind of similar to the songwriter it's quite slow and it, again you know it's all about the message his his lyrics are what make this make the albums and make his music what they are you know it's 80 percent all about the lyrics and in this one, it's referring specifically to his time in the hotel. And it's as he's thinking about leaving. It's towards the end of his sort of bender that he goes he goes through, this the six weeks. It's sort of like, it's quite a sobering moment because obviously as I'm describing these songs, I'm not going through them chronologically as the album does through the track list. So you don't really get full, I'm not giving you a full sense of like the, the progression of the album I'll probably be able to you'll probably be able to understand it much better at the end if I do like a summary but essentially you know the beginning of the album is much to do with his experience getting drunk and going crazy kind of you know in this in this hotel and then the palace comes around halfway a little bit past halfway and this one is sort of I feel like it gives me the vibes of if I had to like imagine him writing this song or making it or whatever I can just see him it's sort of late at night alone in this empty hotel bar around like I don't know four or four a.m or something there's nobody there and he's sort of beginning to sober up you know he's he's starting to get his senses come uh, have his senses come back to him there's starting to be a bit more, bit more clarity and within this moment he's able to be a bit more honest with himself and you get this in this repeated line that he says throughout this song he keeps saying I'm in over my head and he's sort of admitting how this is becoming too much for him the way he's feeling it's just it's all overwhelming him it's actually really dark this song um in terms of the chords that are used as well it's really because the majority of it is quite slow somber chords um but then just as he says i'm in over my head i'm starting to like well up as i'm thinking about it because it, it is quite emotional as he says, I'm in over my head, the chords they used are really, really murky. And I don't know how to describe them. I mean, my music theory isn't good enough for me to be able to just like name the chords or whatever. But they they sound almost like horror movie chords. So the kind of music you'd hear in like a horror movie, just like really ominous, kind of scary chords, like really, really low in terms of the pitch. And they're just on their own, simple, just like held chords. But they don't really fit in with the rest of the 
the chord progression and the out of the song. So they come sort of out of nowhere, just the same as him admitting, I'm in over my head. And he says it again. And he always goes back to it within the chorus. And he goes, I'm in way over my head. He's like, I, I don't think I can control this anymore. And the, the chords are reflecting that. He's being sort of swallowed up by the music. This like really spooky, ooh, moment where he's sort of being enveloped by the darkness. I sort of get that kind of vibe. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's genuinely quite upsetting, quite scary. Um, in terms of the rest of the song, he's sort of describing what's happening, what's what he's been doing there, but in a much more blunt way than before. Before, he's sort of describing he, like it within the moment, kind of. But here, he's like, it's been three weeks and a bag of speed. <laughs> so he's describing what he's been doing. He, he sort of ponders maybe he'll buy a pet, um, just so he'll have to, just in a way to be able to, distract himself from whatever's going on inside his head he's like maybe i'll name him jeff just sort of just random contemplation and it's i don't know it feels it feels very much like uh he's saying you know if uh, it's probably not best for me to get this pet and be responsible for it if i can't even be responsible for myself i'm still living on housekeeping and room service i can't look after myself how am i supposed to have a pet you know, he's just like, his head's a bit all over the place, but there is clarity when he says, I'm in over my head. And the song ends with this sort of slight, I guess it's kind of optimistic because he says, last night I texted your iPhone and I said, I think I'm ready to come home. I'm in over my head. I'm in over my head. I'm in way over my head. So this is him referring to his wife. He finally was able to admit to her, okay, I think I can leave now. I think it's time for me to leave. I think I need to get help. I think I, this is too much for me. I I need to stop hiding. That's essentially what he's doing within this palace. He's hiding. And, you know, looking at the genius page, they make reference to the palace being a, a thing referring to the Buddha. And you know how the Buddha's story of how his father had kept him within the, the palace because he didn't want him to be exposed to poverty, sickness, death, sorrow, all these, like, bad stuff. And how he's sort of trying to do that to himself, but in, a, in the opposite sense. Uh, Father John Misty, that is, in that he's keeping himself isolated from all that's good in his life, his wife, his, you know, his friends, his family. He's isolating himself from all that and he's just wallowing in his own sorrows within this hotel, within the palace. So it's kind of an inversion of that, which is an interesting interpretation. I never really thought about it like that before, but I could definitely see that being the case. He's one to consider spirituality and whatnot. Also, the palace makes me think of, like, a mind palace, giving me sort of Sherlock vibes. <laughs> um, and I guess that sort of works as well, you know, before he's referring to. But, yeah, the, the song itself, like I said, the, the chords are really, really, they're so simple, but they're, they're extremely effective in communicating what he's trying to say. There's not many songs that are that good at communicating specific emotions and words through the sound you know in, in such a simplistic way anyway and this one manages to do that and it's incredibly impressive i don't yeah and the song actually ends if you pay close attention you can hear there's like rain you can hear rainfall and you can hear um it sort of sounds like a street and like you know street and sounds and i feel like that's him stepping out of the hotel and finally re-entering society which is a nice way to end it I guess because he's finally leaving the palace 
it's it is kind of optimistic even though it has those kind of really murky chords that are pretty depressing not gonna lie so yeah i, I the palace is an incredible song but i don't want to leave the palace oh let's pay someone to move in here and fix this Last night I texted your iPhone And said I think I'm ready to come home I'm in over my head I'm in over my one that I'm going to be discussing is called Just Dumb Enough to Try and this is the third song on the album. It sort of starts off as like a piano, just like a simply a piano song, um, just simple chords and stuff but then as, as it goes on the whole band joins in and it, it just grows in size and it becomes much bigger musically. It even has these like electric sort of buzzing sounds, it's got like an electric, it's, it's got a guitar solo in it, it becomes really full sounding belting like really grand and beautiful honestly it's really really nice but once again back to the lyrics because i think this is what it's all about the lyrics are the most important thing here the song is a love song in a way it's always a love song in a way it's never just a plain love song with this guy and he in each verse he sort of describes his he he's i wouldn't call it bragging I wouldn't say he's bragging about his own abilities, but he's just, I feel like he's self-aware, you know, he's, he's, he's not too modest and he's not too braggy. He's sort of in the middle. He just recognises himself for what he is. And I like that quality. I think it's quite an impressive thing. I don't think many people are able to do that. And I guess maybe some people would interpret it as him being, as him bragging, but I don't think it is. I think it is just being really blunt and self-aware. So he says at the beginning of the first verse, I know a few Tencent words I can break out to keep up with her. So he's referring to his ability to write his his like intelligence. He's referring to his own intelligence here and his ability to, you know, use big words that are quite impressive or whatever. <laughs> his eloquence, I guess. And then in the second verse, he says, I know my way around a tune won't be a single dry eye in the room. And, you know, I, I'm so glad he's this self-aware because I... I I don't know, not many artists admit this kind of thing. It's kind of weird. Um, he's, you know, he's admitting that he has this ability of writing songs that make everyone start crying. Not many musicians say that. I don't know why I find that appealing, the fact that he said that. I, I find it really refreshing that he's able to say that. And this isn't the only time he does something like this. There's another song where he literally admits what his, he, he describes his audience and the kind of people that listen to his music and not gonna lie it was incredibly <laughs> um exposing it was like wow okay you're really gonna out me like that um <laughs> but anyway so yeah he's he's admitting to his own musical ability there the ability to write songs that will make everyone start crying and then in the third verse he admits to his own ability as a ladies man i guess if you want to call that an ability he says i'm 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 no stranger to the female form oh i've been here a few times before so he knows 
he's he's had a relationship with women let's just put it that way so he starts off with, with each verse with that you know just stating his i don't know if you want to call them special set of skills i don't know <laughs> um but then he then he says how the one thing he's lacking is the ability to fully understand his wife or fully get to grips with their relationship and their love how he's sort of never going to be on the same level as she is she is far superior so he starts so with each verse he's saying i'm great at this but at the end of the day it'll never match up to you you are so much better and so he he recognizes that he's never going to be able to write a good love song about her because he doesn't know her well enough he he can't possibly do that as a self-aware human per a human person i just said bloody hell but you know with this kind of self-awareness how can one write a proper love song about your wife if you don't fully understand her and don't fully know her um he recognizes that it's an insane thing to do and then we get into the chorus where he says, but I'm just dumb enough to try. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's the name of the song, Just Dumb Enough to Try. And he'll try it just to, keep who, just to keep you in my life for a little while longer. So he's doing this with the hopes that, you know, making me writing this song just might save this relationship, just might give me the chance to cling on to you a bit longer. Because he's afraid that he's losing her at this point. And I'm insane enough to think I'm going to get out with my skin and start my life again. He's just, he, he has, he has faith in a, some kind of warped way that, you know, he's going to get out of this situation. He's going to be able to start again. They'll be able to start afresh, the two of them, this little blip, this, this, what's going on at the moment of him in the hotel and her, you know, worried about him or whatever. Then obviously things aren't going so great at the moment. He's, he's insane enough or as he described himself insane enough to think that this is only a little blip in their relationship and that it won't be the end for them um it it is quite desperate and he's admitting that he's desperate you know he's he's dumb enough to try this he's insane enough to do this even if it's not going to work because he is desperate he's dumbing himself down for this cause because he needs her in his life it's it's really quite sad but yeah i thought it was just an interesting idea i don't like I said, not many songwriters write about this kind of thing. That's what I find so cool about this guy. And it's really emotional. Um, the music is really beautiful. I am on the verge of crying as I'm talking about all these songs, not gonna lie. Um, he just wants to start his life again, you know, and he wants to start it with her. He knows that he's messed up, but he wants this second chance and he thinks he'll be able to he, well, he hopes that he'll be able to get that by writing her a love song. And that's what he's doing here. I know my way around the Be a single drive-in room You can take what I
now we are moving on to my fourth favorite. If we switch over to the other side now, we're on the favorites. <laughs> my fourth favorite song on the album, which is the second song on the album, and it's called Mr. Tillman. Now, Mr. Tillman is referring to himself, Father John Misty, Josh Tillman. He, yes, and this, this song is a conversation that occurs. Well, it's multiple conversations, really, if we're talking about the timeline of it between himself, Josh Tillman, and the co hotel concierge at the, the place he's staying at. And the verses are the concierge talking to Mr. Tillman. That's why it's called Mr. Tillman, because he's referring to, he's talking to him and he's being quite formal. And the choruses are essentially Josh Tillman's response to the concierge. And the concierge is essentially voicing some concerns. Yeah, he, he, he's concerned about some of the stuff that Tillman has been doing. And it's through this conversation that we get an idea of what is actually happening during his time at the hotel. And some of the stuff, you know, it's, it's not, it doesn't sound the best. So I'll give you an example. We, there are a few outstanding charges is the first thing. Um, you left your passport in the mini fridge. Don't leave your mattress in the rain when you sleep on the balcony, he says to him. <laughs> this sort of implies that Mr. Tillman or Josh or father... Um, has become paranoid and he sees all these people around the hotel and he thinks that he thinks they're making a movie and that they're extras in this this movie and that they're running their lines when they're literally just like people living their life it's almost like he yeah he's definitely paranoid it's almost like he's within the Truman show you know the film the Truman show where he feels like he's in a movie or he's in a, he's in a reality tv show and that everyone around him is fake He's in a simulation, I don't know. But you can tell he's not in a good state of mind and he says, and then the concierge says to him, perhaps you, is there someone we can call? Perhaps you shouldn't drink alone. And the response that Tillman gives in the chorus is, is always the same. It says, I'm feeling good, damn, I'm feeling so fine. I'm living on a cloud above an island in my mind. Oh baby, don't be alarmed. This is just my vibe. No need to walk around. No, it's not too bad a climb. He's referring here to how, to, how he gets to his room. When he says um, it's not too bad a climb, so he's not, so he's not walking through the, he's not walking through the front entrance like a normal person. He's, he's climbing up to his room. Um, it's a bit, it's, he's a bit insane, and obviously, it, obviously you can tell he by the way he's describing his situation. You know, I'm feeling good, damn, I'm feeling so fine, and the way he sings it as well, you can he's he's intoxicated. I would describe it as like dark humor, the lyrics, because obviously they're quite depressing if you really think about what he, what he's doing. He's he's so drunk, he's leaving his passport in his mini fridge, he's sleeping, he's taken his mattress out onto the balcony, and he's sleeping in the rain. <laughs> um, and he's hanging out with these strangers and all sorts of weird stuff, you know. Uh, he's drinking alone, and it's kind of depressing, but at the same time, it's kind of funny. In terms of the music, it's quite repetitive. I remember telling my friend that I was listening to Father John Misty um, when I was first listening to him, and she listened to one of his songs. She'd never heard of him, she wanted to listen to one of his songs, and the first thing she saw was Mr. Tillman. So she listened to the song and her response back was that it was really repetitive and, I don't know, kind of boring. Which is fair enough, I guess, because it is the, the, the melodic line is repeated throughout the entire song. Chorus, verse, it's exactly the same. Instrumentals, the exact same thing. It goes... And that's just repeated again and again and again and again. Um, but I think that line that melodic line itself even though it's really repetitive it does have this 
it's not your typical sort of it doesn't sound like your it doesn't sound like the most normal of melodic lines like in the way it moves and just the way it sounds it's it, if you know what i mean it doesn't feel like a pop song type like predictable tune it's it's almost kind of almost like a nursery rhyme ish and kind of like haunting in a way it it, it I, I don't really know how to describe it but it just doesn't it's not your typical thing that you would hear in t- melodically i don't think uh, i'm sure there's a proper fancy music theory way of describing it but that's all i can really say about it is how it feels and it doesn't feel like your usual tune and and it does have that sort of mystery to it and that sort of edge to it that i think is quite cool and he's he's overcompensating in the in the chorus in the way he sings it he's got his sort of really drawly the way he sings it you can tell he's like off his face and because it's so repetitive i guess it sort of works with that because you know he's spending this time in this hotel every day sort of blurring into one it's almost become like a groundhog day situation or a palm Springs situation or any other film that does that sort of time loop thing it does have that kind of vibe to it which is why it kind of works with the music because it's so repetitive and almost like a nursery rhyme going again and again and again at first it was not my favorite i agreed with my friend i did find musically to be quite repetitive and it because the melody was kind of weird it didn't really jam with me that well but as i listened to it more obviously once you once you get a grip of the lyrics it's like quite entertaining um it's fun to follow the story of it Mr. Tillman, good to see you again There's a few outstanding charges Just before we check you in Let's see here You left your passport in the mini Fridge and a message with the desks Here the picture isn't his And oh, just a reminder about our policy so now my third yes my third favorite song on the album is hang out at the gallows and this is the first song that comes on the album and it is about how i mean the the title itself can give you an idea of how it's kind of bleak hang out at the gallows um but it's sort of a double entendre because it's referring to he's specifically referring to just trying to get in contact with his friends and wanting to hang out with them hang out at the gallows hang out but at the same time because he's in such a depressed state he knows that them joining him is the is just him sort of dragging them into his depression like making them feel kind of crap as well so in a sense it's a hang out at the gallows and that they're all going to get themselves hung or hanged i think that's the correct grammar for it yeah they're going to get themselves hanged you know by a rope at the gallows um quite morbid <laughs> and the the it, the song sort of starts with like a new day dawning sun is rising black is turning blues you know it's the start of a new album as well as the start of a new day and but it's not necessarily a good thing you know black is turning blue so we're t- we're going from the pure comedy album which i guess i'd say is uh, black comedy <laughs> and now we're going to blue so we're going to a much more depressed state um speaking of in terms of like the album art i just like to say it's quite similar to melodrama this one is a photo melodrama is a painting but it's similar in that the colors are really uh, are quite 
the color palette is really similar. They both have an image of the artist's face or like the artist in a sort of like a resting kind of position. So with Lord, she's lying in a bed and there's like a blue wash over her, but then you can see this little sparkle of like, I don't know, purple and pink light coming in through the window. And with this album, it's a photograph. And I'd like to say also, it, the photograph was taken by Emma, his wife, I believe. I might be wrong with that, but I'm pretty sure he, she's his main photographer. And this is a photo of him sort of in a white shirt and he his head is slightly bowed and his 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 head is sort of in his hand and he's doing one of those you know when your fingers are like across your nose and just like a little bit over your forehead as you're in contemplation or say you've got like a headache or something and you put your hand over there and he's doing one of those and the light is mostly blue again but then there is this this quite bright tinge of orange on one side of his face similar to the lord thing so i think they look quite similar as well um this one the blue specifically referring to like depression you know we love that anyway back to the song there's quite a lot of biblical imagery as well referring to noah and you know noah's coming so i guess this is like you know this massive flood is coming along i don't know and this is look out buddy noah's coming jesus man what did you do so i guess he's referring you know how like humanity had messed up so much that they had to be swept away of their of all their like they had to be like completely washed out in the flood um i guess that's sort of how he is feeling like a wave of depression or something i don't know my favorite part of the entire song i have to say the reason why i've probably ranked it so high is because there's this bit where he goes what's your politics what's your religion and the way he sings it is i it, it's like crack to me i can't even describe it so i have to talk about the mute like the instrumentals of this song it's really really intense um it sort of starts off you know because it's like sun is rising you can tell that he had like a bad night beforehand because he does this groan he's like oh in the background and it's like a little, a little detail that i absolutely adore whenever i hear it i'm like oh yes this is so good it's like a i'm waking up but i'm really tired just like oh so, or it could all just also just be like ugh, i have to live this life and on this planet this crappy world i have to wake up another day Ugh, one of those and um the way he sings is like i i can't even do i cannot bring any justice to this this is so good it's such amazing singing and it's so dramatic the music i i'm i'm i feel like i'm being really incoherent with what i'm trying to communicate but um, it's a really full sounding song. The instruments are going crazy. There's it's like a really big heavy band, and you can hear the strings. You can hear like a, I don't know, are there horns? Maybe there are. I'm I'm sort of losing it. But it's oh, it's so heavy. There's the the piano is like being pounded on. Same thing with the drums. There's loads of stuff going on with the drums and the bass, and it's really enticing and really enticing and quite morbid. But yeah, like I was saying, my favourite part is the bit where he goes, what's your politics? What's your... Re-? And then he goes, your religion. <laughs> it's one of those yoo-hoo <laughs> moments. But he does it... Um, That's when there's like all the music cuts out. So he sings it like on his own with no music. What's your politics? Like really heavy, like shouting almost. What's your religion? 
And then when he goes, John for religion, that's when all the instruments come back in. And it and then the backing vocals go, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's so cool. It's honestly, I like I said, it's cracked to me. I am obsessed with that moment in the song. It's so cool. Um, oh my God, in my notes, I wrote hee hee Michael Jackson. <laughs> because the bit where he goes, what's your really? it sounds a bit like michael jackson's <laughs> um it's so fucking cool it's oh it's amazing and then there's like bits with the the piano where they have like almost like these jazz improv moments and it's really really cool and he's got this like scratchy vocal effect it's a really intense heavy song oh it's oh it's amazing oh musically it's one of the coolest things ever i don't know how to describe it it's so cool yeah that's hanging out at the gallows oh yeah like in terms of lyrics it's yeah i've I've said it already it's kind of depressing but it's it's all about the music with this one like the produce the production on it is amazing the final two songs i'm going to talk about in the album my two favorite songs honestly they're pretty much neck and neck i've just rated them based on like i don't know i my opinions are like they, they could sort of you know i could put either one of them as my favorite and i wouldn't be too mad about it but i've sort of decided that my second favorite song is god's favorite customer and now like i said this this album is called god's favorite customer so this is the one you know this song is number eight out of ten on the track list and it is yeah i've listened to it so many times this one and the first song and that i'm gonna mention later those are the ones i've listened to the most out of all the songs on the album i listen to this one on repeat constantly it's i it's so good um let me just give a heads up about what it's about so god's favorite customer like i mentioned before josh tillman father (laughs) he was brought up christian very religious um i just found this quote that i think is really funny he said i wanted to be a youth pastor for like five minutes then i remembered that i hate children and i don't believe in god <laughs> i don't know i find that funny but yeah obviously as a child and growing up he was brought up very religious and so he refers to himself he refers to himself as god's favorite customer he sees it as sort of I don't know. I I guess it's kind of funny that he's referring it to uh, referring to it like that. He sees it as sort of like a transactional, almost like a business. This religion thing. I mean, oh, he even says, "I'm in the business of living." Yeah, that's something I'd say. He literally says that within the first verse. So, there we go. I don't know if that's enlightening about the way c- Christianity works, or is just him being sort of ironic or whatever. But yeah. 
And the song itself, musically, sounds... I mean, it sounds a lot, in terms of the vibes of it, is pretty much identical to the music video. I think the music video captures exactly what I think when I hear this song. And the music video is essentially just him walking down a bunch of streets in the city at night. And then as the song goes on, it goes from nighttime to, like, sunrise. And... Yeah, that's what I sort of get, you know, it's just a slow walking down the streets at night, eventually, as the sun begins to rise. Um, and the music sort of fits that as well. It's sort of the the chords and everything that's going on in terms of the music. The music is mostly just like piano, and then occasionally you've got like a... You've got the drums, and you've got the bass, and you have like a harmonica at some point, and things like that. It's, it's quite, you know, simple stuff. But in terms of, like, the pace of it, it's very much, like, slow walking pace. Like, you're just taking your time, just looking around, this, just, like, looking at stuff, you know. Just really, it, there's no, it's kind of aimless. He's There's no particular direction that he's going in. And I guess that sort of works with what's happening in, in terms of his life at that point. He's struggling. He doesn't really know where to go at this point in terms of, like, how to get out of this depressive state that he's in and so the only thing he really can consider doing now like he's sort of help he, he's sort of helpless he doesn't know where else to look is to go back to god something he hasn't done in a while <laughs> and so in the chorus he specifically speaks to god and he says speak to me won't you speak sweet angel don't you remember me i was god's favorite customer and so he's sort of crying out there it's a cry for help it is he's sort of he's begging for god to to answer his prayers to help him to show him some kind of guidance because he doesn't really know what he's doing and he like he said in the palace he's over in over his head yeah i don't know i just i found it it's really emotional um one of the best parts of the entire song i have to say one of the best things in the entire song is a cam a little cameo a little feature of featuring vocals from wise blood she is one of my favorite artists she has the voice of an angel so i think it's quite fitting that he uses her as uh, to give the backing vocals in it because in as the choruses go on and they repeat she they do sort of like a call and response thing so he goes speak to me and then in the background she goes oh speak to me <laughs> and they're just like is she just like echoing his voice really and she does sound like an angel she has the most amazing voice and she does these little ah, stuff in the background and it sounds amazing just ignore the way i do it but she sounds incredible and they're just singing to each other it sounds like it feels like a conversation between the two of them and it's just pleading um music it kind of sounds like maybe even a bob dylan song because of the harmonica and whatnot um but possibly a bit more beautiful than a bob dylan song because Josh Tillman's voice is really, really good. He is, he is a beautiful voice. Um, he's trying, yeah, he's trying to reignite this relationship with God. He needs help. It's got some funky chord progressions. I, I would know because I tried to learn it on the guitar and it was bloody difficult. I can do it now just to let you know, but it did take a while because he does use some interesting chords um not your standard stuff yeah that's that's god's favorite customer it's really easy it's a really easy easy lesson one that i like to listen to when i'm just like walking down the street i guess or doing anything to be honest it's one of those ones you can listen to doing anything but i think it's perfect for like 
maybe a late night walk in the down the, in the streets you know it works nicely for that to my favorite song of the album like i said this one and god's favorite customer pretty much tied for me but i've put this one ahead slightly not that it makes much of a difference but yeah this is the song i've chosen is the fifth song in the album so it's bang in the middle and it's called please don't die so i get you you can already tell it's a pretty depressing one it's pretty morbid um, and this one you can sort of contrast with mr tillman in mr tillman he's referring to all the crap that he's doing but he's doing he does it in a sort of comedic way by setting it with as this conversation between the concierge and himself um whereas in this one he's sort of he's being much more truthful about it and he's recognizing the harm that he's causing um Emma specifically and not just about the depression that he's going through himself but how his behaviour is really affecting her and how she is getting genuinely hurt by this whole experience. And so then the chorus is essentially her speaking to him or him imagining what she has to say to him. And it's basically the chorus is her pleading to him not to kill himself. Um, so yeah, it's really morbid and it's very emotional. Like, I'd be weeping listening to this and I'm about to cry just talking about it. <laughs> um I, I think I'll just read the lyrics because they're quite self-explanatory. In the first verse, he, first verse, he goes, One more wasted morning when I could be holding you to my side. Somebody stop this joyless joyride. I'm feeling older than my 35 years. So, you know, he's like begging for this experience to end. He knows that this this life he's living is just, um, he's just wasting it, living in this hotel. He should be with her, but he can't bring himself to do that. And he feels old and like weak, even though he's only 35. He just feels as if he's lived all this crap. Um, he wants somebody to stop this joyless joyride, that being life, you know. It's pretty dark. And then he goes one more cryptic message thinking that i might end it oh my god you must have woken up to me saying it's all too much i'll take it easy with the morbid stuff so this is referring to like some texts that he'll be sending her or some like voice messages he'll be sending her in the middle of the night about how he wants to kill himself and it's like the clarity of the next morning where he's like oh shit i probably shouldn't have done that this must be horrific for you imagine seeing your husband sending messages saying he wants to kill himself you know that's really traumatic and he's like oh my god I can't believe I you had to wake up to that and he says I'll take it easy with the morbid stuff he's promising that he's not gonna burden her with that kind of stuff and then you know the chorus is honey oh honey I'm or I'm worried about you you're you're too much to lose you're all that I have honey I'm worried about you put yourself in my shoes you're all that I have so please don't die wherever you are tonight and this is quite pleading, it's really depressing, um, and the way she goes, wherever you are tonight, 
Like, they're, they're so disconnected from one another. She doesn't even know where he is. She doesn't know what he's doing. But all she can do is just pray that he doesn't kill himself and beg him not to do that. Because she needs him. She can't have... She can't live without him, you know? And she's asking him, put yourself in my shoes. And then he does that later in the songwriter. So, <laughs> But not specifically referring to the whole killing myself thing. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, verse three goes... All these pointless benders were reptilian strangers. Oh my God, you're so naive. You leave this world in a drunken heave. Who, who'll make the arrangements, arrangements, baby, them or me? And it's, it's about how, like, you know, even though she she's the one who loves and cares about him, he's spending all of his time with all these, like, random strangers who don't really care at all. And she's asking him who will make the arrangements for his funeral. <laughs> is it going to be those strangers that you spend all the time with or is it going to be with me? This is her sort of criticising him here. And the, yeah, the, the repetition of like, please don't die wherever you are tonight. Oh, it's, it's, musically is really beautiful. It's not like a slow ballad or anything. It's, um, it's got the harmonica in it, like God's favourite customer. And sonically, it's really, it's quite comforting almost. It gives me sort of like a Christmas, like I think of it like a Christmas movie, like Home Alone. I imagine this kind of music being played in it. Maybe that's completely inappropriate. In terms of lyrics, it definitely is. But, like, musically, I feel like those kind of vibes are there. It does have these almost, like, Christmassy jingles in the back. And it's got the harmonica. So it's quite comforting music. Um, and it's it when it gets to the chorus, it goes, oh, And then it, it's, like, this burst of sound. And it's really beautiful. Um, it's really full. It's not bare at all, which... I don't know, it's not like one of the other ballads, and it's really heartbreaking, honestly, it's so, it it feels like you, you could imagine this being a genuine conversation, and it is quite revealing in the way that he was referring to in the songwriter, where he's like, I'm undressing our relationship for the, the public, everyone knows what's going on between us, he's literally describing how she is begging him not to kill himself, you know, if I was Emma, I probably wouldn't want this to be a song, even though it's really beautiful, it's, it's just way too revealing, I guess, um, even though he's, like, isolated from her, she, she's, they're, they're reliant on each other, um, yeah, the, musically, it, it does sound quite uplifting, like, like I said, it was quite comforting, you, it doesn't feel so particularly depressing, I would say, like, if you just listen to the instrumentals on its own, you wouldn't think, oh, this is a sad song, you would think, I don't know, this is a song about family or something, <laughs> something like warm, um, and I guess that's it's supposed to be like that, you know, because this is she's begging him to be with her, you know. This is she wants to keep the family together. Um, there is a desperation to it though, and it does have the it it climaxes with the bit where she goes, "You're all that I have. You're all that I have." I keep saying she. She's not actually singing this. It's him singing it, but him singing it as her. Um. But yeah, he, he keeps repeating the lines, you're all that I have. And he repeats it again and again. And as he's repeating it musically, the song sort of crescendos. And it builds up and builds up and builds up with like this growing desperation. Then it climaxes and it's so good. And I also want to talk about the music video. The music video is sort of like claymation um, of him going into the underworld, kind of. And then he's being, he, it's almost like, it, oh my god, it is Christmassy. Because he's like Scrooge in the music video. He's like 
he's shown his grave and he he's about to fall into his grave and he's like being pulled in the same way like the ghost of christmas future or something is really i think it is supposed to be christmassy oh my god it wasn't just me being crazy oh wow i just realized this and he's like about to fall into the grave that has his his name written on the on the stone and then he gets and then just as he's about to fall in and be tempted by death emma flies down like an angel and she rescues him um so it's, it is quite a, a good a happy ending i guess kind of but the song itself is like i said it's pretty depressing like the lyrics are really depressing and it's really emotional and i cry every time i hear it and i love it it's my favorite on the album great song and that's the album really that is god's favorite customer um i i i don't really know what else to say i i think i've basically said all i have to say about the album i really really like it he works with people like mark ronson on this and he works with wise blood i feel like it's really good collaborations you know it's really good let me see i want to see what the critics think it did get universal acclaim but some people didn't like it as much as pure comedy because it was lacking that sort of um that sort of comedic edge that he tends to that he's that he's really good at um or someone calls his trademark sense of humor um but i don't mind that you know i really don't mind it because in instead of that comedy which we do get a bit of instead of that we have really really personal stuff that is someone says here his most genuinely sincere and his most profound and i agree with that because a lot of this music that he makes is quite you know ironic or taking the piss kind of so this does feel very sincere and it is him at his lowest i don't know maybe there's a link between this and carrie and lol with this being sufyon's lowest and father john misty's lowest and that those albums being my favorite i don't know maybe I I mean, read into that what you will. I'm not going to be saying how, you know, oh, artists only make their best stuff when they're in pain or when they're suffering, because I don't know if I believe that. But, you know, that was my personal favourite. I really, really like this album. Obviously, there are certain songs on it that we will not be discussing any longer. That are just not as, as good, but, you know, the rest of it sort of balances it out, definitely. I can pretend that that last song doesn't exist and then be happy with the album. <laughs> so yeah that's god's favorite customer so 
so i think that's about it for this episode um i hope you enjoyed um if you like what i had to say about uh god's favorite customer if it sounded interesting to you please do listen to it i think you'll love it i also listen to his other stuff as well if you want to go english student or like philosophy student listen to pure comedy because then there's a lot of interesting ideas there if you want crazy lovey-dovey stuff go for i love you honey bear or something like that maybe even fear fun um and then if you want to have your like sad depressive times go for god's favorite customer yeah he, he's he's a really good artist and also like i said i i started listening to his stuff through fleet foxes so listen to fleet foxes they are an incredible band um and yeah that's about it thank you for listening and huzzah